So back in like 2003 and 2004, as we were fighting the insurgency in Iraq, uh, there were a lot of um, reports that came out about our soldiers not having sufficient armor. And maybe you remember some of this, um, but what I understand from what I've heard um, since then is that originally the army had um, provided enough body armor, bulletproof vests kind of things for all of our sort of frontline deployed troops, but they didn't provide that armor for the 50,000 plus troops that were there to support them. And the enemy pretty quickly learn to avoid our frontline soldiers and target those um, softer targets further in the rear of our um, units. And so, um, it became a problem, and there was a lot of hubbub, and finally um, our troops got the body armor they, they probably needed from the beginning. Um, one of the things that got a lot of attention was that the U.S. troops didn't get their armor for like several months, and a lot of the other nations that were fighting with us got their armor in a matter of weeks. And so, it was this huge controversy. And then even after that was over, uh, the other controversy was about the vehicles that our soldiers were using that weren't armored. Um, We had something like 10,000 Humvees in Iraq, and if you remember IEDs, those improvised explosive devices were a huge danger uh, to our soldiers, and uh, those Humvees really were insufficiently armored, so they were very dangerous. People were on patrol, um, and they didn't have adequate protection in their vehicle. Um, I actually read one story about a soldier who got a $912 bill from the military for rear-ending another military vehicle in his truck. Uh, He appealed the bill and won. It turns out that the soldiers had been encouraged um, to put sandbags in the floor of their vehicle to protect against explosions, and those were prone to spilling and getting caught in the pedals, which is why he um, um, ran into the vehicle in front of him. Um, and, and I just thought about that story, and actually I talked to a friend before worship um, who corroborated some of the crazy things that happened in regards to the lack of armor there, uh, and soldiers literally welding plates of metal on the sides of their vehicles or like tying them on with ropes, right? And I, and I just wonder how in the world the most powerful um, army in the history of humanity got into combat um, with a bunch of people who, you know, just just insurgents, I guess, um, and we got there without sufficient armor to the point where we had to be protected by sandbags. Uh, and then I wonder if Paul might ask us the same question, right? If Paul might come to us and say, how can the greatest kingdom on earth, comprised of people equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit, united in a new humanity, chosen in Christ, subject to one another, ever get waylaid by the equivalent of spiritual insurgents, right? How could this army ever be slowed down? And and I want to think this morning about um, how that happens, and particularly about three mistakes or myths perhaps that we tell that keep us from being armored and ready um, when God calls us to serve. Uh, the, the, the first myth is, uh, or mistake, is, is the not my enemy myth, right? The not my enemy myth. Uh, and I think um, we often get confused about who our enemies are. There's a scene from my favorite TV show, The West Wing, where uh, the president and one of his staff members are um, 
trying to fight out some policy with Congress. And it, it begins with sort of a principled argument, right? And then it sort of devolves, and over the course of the episode, it becomes more about just beating the other guy, right? It's kind of a, a spitting contest. Uh, and, and there's a point in that episode where one of the characters comes in and slams the door and says to them, you're fighting the wrong fights, and you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Then she just leaves. The very end of that episode, after they beat the other guys, right? Not, not anything great in it, but they beat the other guys. Um, and then at the very end, there's like a moment of self-realization. And one of the staff members says to the president, Sir, we talk about enemies more than we used to. The president says, What? He says, I just, we talk about enemies more than we used to. I just wanted to say that. And I, and I wonder how often um, that's true of us, right, that we're fighting the wrong fights and we're doing it for the wrong reasons. Uh, there are a million things that we can fight about, right? We can fight about the, the color of our new kitchen, and we can fight about um, who gets elected for what office, and we can fight about um, which sports team is the best. And, and it's really easy to start drawing lines in the sand and deciding who our enemies are and who they're not. And so I want to give you a 100% effective tool to determine for the rest of your life who your legit enemies are, okay? Super easy. This is all you ever have to ask. If your enemy is made of flesh and blood, then it's not your enemy, right? If your enemy is human, then they're not your enemy. They may be wrong, they may be misguided. They may even be used by evil because people have been used by evil to do some pretty awful things. Right? But Paul says our enemies are not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, what Paul wants us to understand is that our true enemy is not uh, the guy across the pew who wants to sing contemporary music when I want traditional music, right? Our true enemy isn't even the guy shooting at me. Our true enemy uh, is, is the spiritual force of evil, right? It's, it's well, we don't like to talk about it, but it's Satan, right? It's, it's this personified evil that Scripture talks about. Now, this makes us uncomfortable. Yep, I get it. Um, there's a great line from The Usual Suspects, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist, right? Uh, and so, we tend to go in one of two directions when we talk about spiritual evil. Either uh, we go in one direction and, and we say, that's nonsense, that's, that's stuff that people used to do a long time ago, we don't believe that anymore. Um, or we go the other direction and we become obsessed about it. So, very briefly, I want to talk about those two things. Um, I know that people are capable of doing terrible things, but I got to tell you, as I watch the news and as I read some of these stories about the inhumanity that we can do to our neighbors and our children and our parents and our friends and our coworkers, I don't know about you, but I always think, are people really that bad? Is it really just us? I mean, it just makes so much sense to me that it takes something beyond us to push us to that level. Um, and, and for me, if I recognize the overwhelming presence of evil in this world, it's hard to not recognize there's got to be a source of that evil, right? That there's got to be something that's making that happen. It's not just random or coincidental. 
So then once I kind of buy onto that, I can go the other direction and I can be obsessed with it, right? Um, people have often read this passage in Ephesians and said, oh, let's make a ranking system for how strong demons are, and let's, rulers aren't as good as authorities, aren't as good as powers, and that's just nonsense, okay? Um, that's not Paul's point either. He doesn't want us to be obsessed with this or even afraid, right? The Bible says, don't fear that, fear God. Um, Paul wants us to know who our enemy is. Right? Who are we fighting? What's this battle that we're called to be waged, um, and, and how do we wage it? And Levi Lusco says um, that all sin is a battle, right? Lust and pride and greed and anger and jealousy and injustice and uncaring and disinterest in the welfare of others are warring against our souls. Life is not a game to be played, but a war to be waged. You have an enemy who wants to take you out because he knows what greatness lies within you. You must remember this, because you can't win a battle you don't know you're in. Uh, so, the, the first myth here is, is we get our enemy wrong, right? Not my enemy. And we want to blame and get angry with people, and we want to um, blame those around us instead of recognizing that this is a spiritual struggle. And once we know that, we actually can respond, right? Once we know who we're fighting, um, we know how to fight back. Uh, and so, uh, every time a little bit of righteousness happens, uh, it's striking a blow against our enemy, right? When we stand up for someone else, when we turn away from temptation, when we dismantle injustice, when we worship God rightly, when we are kind to someone who is undeserving of our kindness, when we forgive someone who is undeserving of our forgiveness, when we are brave, when we speak up for God, when we pray, right? We, we're striking a blow um, because our blows aren't against the flesh and blood, it's a spiritual thing. So, our first uh, myth, our first mistake is um, not my enemy, that we, we get confused who we're fighting. Uh, the second myth is uh, not my job, not my job. Um, and I think it's really easy for us to say, hey, um, I'm not on the front lines in this thing. I'm in a support capacity. Uh, I'm happy for, you know, the, the evangelists or the you know, the hardcore Christians to go out there and do their thing, but I'm, I'm, I'm just going gonna, gonna to hang back um, where it's safe. I don't need to be on the front lines of this battle. And I think Paul's response is, as we discovered, unfortunately, in the real world, um, there are no back lines, right? That, that we are all engaged in this great work with God, uh, and, and we can't put off until later what's critical today. There, there's one line in this Ephesians passage that I worry about because I think it confuses us. Verse 13, um, Paul says, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. And I, I worry that we read that one verse and we think it means, oh, there's like one day that I'm getting ready for, right? There's one day where there's going to be a big, you know, conflict, some kind of spiritual thing, and I got to be ready for that one day. That is not Paul's intent, okay? Paul wants us to understand that this is a lifelong struggle, right? To stand against the wiles of the devil, to struggle against the enemies of the Spirit is not just something that we look forward to doing eventually. Now, we live in a world infected by evil, and Scripture calls Satan the prince of this world, and you can't get away from that, right? Wherever you are, you're on the front lines. And, and so that means um, you can't say, hey, I know I'm only in middle school, I'm only in high school. Um, when I grow up and become an adult, then I'll get around to this whole um, being on God's army kind of thing, but right now I'm just, I'll put that off till later. 
And you can't say, well, boy, when I get married or when I have kids or when my work gets to a certain point or, or when my kids leave the home or when I retire, um, because now is the time that that spiritual battle is being waged. And now is the time that Christ has called you uh, to stand up and stand firm. And I got to tell you, I have seen so many people absorb so many wounds because they buy into this myth that it's not my job or not my time. And a lot of those wounds come um, in, in, in ways that we don't even recognize when we're younger, right? That, you know, looking at one website or going and to one party or drinking one drink begins a pattern of behavior that sticks with me from high school to adulthood, right? I'm buying into one lie about myself, allowing myself to give in to one grudge against another person, right? Those, those things stay with us, and those wounds um, are not easily healed. And I think Paul wants us to recognize um, that a peacetime mentality is deadly dangerous in war. So he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His power. Put on the whole armor of God. Take up the whole armor of God. Stand firm. Uh, I read a wonderful book uh, a few years ago called Tribe by Sebastian Younger. And in it, he talks a little bit about um, his father and his experience in terms of um, military service. He says, my father was half Jewish and grew up in Europe. He was 13 when his family fled the Spanish Civil War and settled in Paris, and 17 when they left Paris ahead of the German army and immigrated to the United States. He tried to sign up for military service but was turned down due to asthma, so he eventually helped the war effort by working on jet engines in Patterson, New Jersey. Later, he got a degree in fluid mechanics and worked on submarine design. When I turned 18, I received my selective service card in the mail in case the United States needed to draft me, and I declared to my dad that I wasn't going to sign it. The Vietnam War had just ended, and every adult I knew had been against it. I had no problem personally with fighting a war. I just didn't trust my government to send me to one that was completely necessary. My father's reaction surprised me. Vietnam had made him vehemently anti-war, so I expected him to applaud my decision. But instead, he told me that American soldiers had saved the world from fascism during World War II and that thousands of young Americans were buried in his homeland of France. You don't owe your country nothing, I remember him telling me. You owe it something. And depending on what happens, you might owe it your life. The way my father put it completely turned the issue around for me. Suddenly, the draft card wasn't so much an obligation as a chance to be a part of something bigger than myself. I think this is Christ's call to us, uh, that our invitation is to be part of something bigger than ourselves, not to be in the back lines of this spiritual battle, but uh, to take up arms and to serve being strong in the Lord and the strength of His power. So the first mistake or myth is um, that it's not my enemy. And the second mistake or myth is it's not my job. Uh, the last is um, not on my own. Not on my own. And, and, and I think even when we recognize the pervasive problems of our world, the challenges of evil and, and the ways we're afflicted and affected by things beyond our control, 
Even then, I think we have this tendency to try to solve those problems ourselves. Right? I'm going to get enough money to be financially secure so that when the bottom drops out the next time, I'll be ready. I- I'm going to um, get uh, uh, enough pleasure to numb the pain or enough entertainment to avoid the reality that's so unpleasant in my life. I- I'm going to get enough respect or power or strength to just take care of myself. And, and in the end, I think that's kind of like using sandbags to protect ourselves against Satan. Right? I mean, it's, it's the best we can do, but it's still not enough. And so Christ calls us to something else. He calls us uh, to do this not on our own, but with Him and with each other. Um, by the way, um, when it says be strong in the Lord and the power of His strength, um, it's not a one-time thing. He's saying um, the, the tense in Greek here is reoccurring action, right? On a regular basis, be strong in the Lord. On a regular basis, put on your armor. On a regular basis, stand firm. So I, I want to talk about this armor for a minute because um, it's not mine, right? It's His. And I really think it's an interesting idea where it talks about the armor of God because that just could mean three totally different things, right? It could mean the armor that God provides, right? God gives us this armor. It could mean the armor that God wears. Very often in Scripture, God is, is personified as a warrior, right, with swords and weapons. Or it could mean that I'm literally putting on God, right, that I'm being dressed in God as Scripture talks about being clothed in Christ. I love all of those, though I guess that last one really captures my imagination. But whatever it is, they all get this idea that it's something beyond me, right? It's not my task, but it's God's gift that equips me to do this work, to to be involved in this spiritual warfare in a way in which I can be victorious. But it's not just me and God, it's also we and God. Uh, so just, I'm going to pick out two of those um, pieces of armor. One of those is the shield. So uh, in, in the um, world in which Paul is writing, of course, the Roman army is the most powerful army in the world at the time. And um, the Romans had developed a large shield that was um, almost as tall as a body and curved. Pretty effective in battle. Um, it can block a javelin or an arrow or whatever. Um, but, but obviously, it only protects your front, right? So your head's still exposed, your sides are still exposed. What really made the the Roman armies effective in the use of that shield was when they came together. Um, Can you put that on the… I've got a little picture. Um, So the the Romans would… the first soldier would take a knee and plant their shield on the ground uh, and and butt up against all the soldiers beside them. And then the the rank behind them would take their their shield and place it over their heads. Uh, And then um, both ranks could hide behind those two shields for uh, incoming projectile attacks, like you're being shot with arrows. Or as you can see here, the back rank could stand and throw javelins. Um, They actually could just advance forward with their shields up. The shields even became kind of a weapon for the Romans at this time. Um, The the, the key in what made the shield an effective tool in war uh, was the person on your left and your right, the person in front of you and behind you. It, It wasn't just you holding up a shield. It was um, the army with whom you served. And so when Paul says, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one, he does not say single, um, second person singular, you, Jim Gates. 
He says second person plural, y'all, right? Y'all take up the shield. By the way, uh, every time he talks about a piece of armor in this passage, um, Paul never says you singular. He always says y'all plural, right? Y'all put on your helmets. Y'all put on your breastplates. Y'all pick up your swords. Y'all pick up your shields. Because it's not just me and Jesus. It's us and Jesus. And the church has to stand and put on God's armor and be united together against the powers of evil in this world if we want to withstand them. Um, But Paul's vision is not just that we would withstand them, but that we would defeat them. Uh, And so we're going to go to the second um, piece of armor, the only piece of armor that I own, which is the sword. And every time I have an opportunity to bring my sword out, I do. So so, uh, this is the the sword. I I have this idea that, um, you know, if anyone ever, I don't know, like, there was an active shooter in the church or something. I was going to go grab my sword and save everyone, right? Um, here's the problem with that. Um, I, I, I've never used a sword in my life, right, other than like a lightsaber and battling with my kids. Um, how do you think I'd do if I got into a fight with this thing? Yeah, you're, well, you look very confident, but you're shaking your head. And Zach's going to probably tell me I'm going to be terrible, right? That's the right answer. I would be terrible. I mean, odds are good I would stab someone. But whether it's the bad guy, the good guy, or myself, I don't know, right? Um, how do you get better at using a sword? Practice. Um, if I go in my backyard and I take out my sword and practice for an hour a day, am I going to be a really good swordsman? Well, thank you. I appreciate the confidence. Uh, I'm a little bit nervous about that, right? Because I don't know what I'm doing. So an hour spent not knowing what I'm doing is going to result in me still not knowing what I'm doing, right? Um, So I think, not unlike the shield, the sword is something we use together, right? We train with it together. We get better at it together. Uh, The Bible says, Paul says, uh, that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, right? By the way, this is at least as intimidating as this, right? I mean, it really is. Um, And so we got to train at it together. Um, One of the things I'm really excited about uh, this year… we're going to start not, not this Sunday, but next Sunday, actually next Monday, the 11th of January. Um, we're going to read through the Gospel of Matthew together. And then I hope we'll keep going through all four Gospels. I'm going to ask you to read one chapter a day, which is pretty small. Um, and um, we're going to do this on, on the, if you have a tablet or a phone, um, something called the Bible app. The Bible app is like the most popular online Bible you can get, and it's free. And one of the cool things about it is not only will it tell us kind of how to read each day, um, but I'm going to get up every morning, read the chapter, and then I'll post, hey, I, here's my thoughts or comments or questions. And then you can come up any time of the day, read your uh, chapter, and then, hey, write your notes in there as well. And we, we kind of sharpen each other's swords, right? We, we, we practice together. Um, by the way, if you're not like an app person, I'm pretty sure that all those chapters are in this book too. So you could just read them out of this. That would work just as well, okay? Um, but I'm really excited about it, and, I, and I'm excited about it because I think we have to practice together, right? That, that it's not on my own, but it's in the power of God and with the people of God that I have the opportunity to, to not just stand firm, but defeat my enemy. Don Juan in um, the book A Separate Peace says, the difference between a warrior and an ordinary man is that an ordinary man sees everything as either a blessing or a curse, and a warrior sees everything as a challenge. 
I love that idea, right? I love that idea that a, that a warrior doesn't just say, oh, that's a bummer. Oh, that's great. They say, ah, how can I change that? Right? What's God calling me to do in the midst of that? And I believe that God's calling in Ephesians 6 is that we are to be warriors together and that um, all of the evil in the world is not something to be overwhelmed by or dismissed out of hand, but it is a challenge to the church that we are called to stand um, for Christ and to do extraordinary things um, in His power and with His strength and with one another. So you have an enemy and you have a job, but you are not alone. You are not unarmored and you cannot, in the power of God, lose this fight. So God calls us today to never surrender and never back down, and to stand shoulder to shoulder and shield to shield with our sisters and brothers, to practice our swords and to know our true enemy and to own our identity. We are warriors for God. So stand up. And stand together. And when you have done everything, stand firm. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.